We are turning now to God's Word, and we are in a five-sermon series on the core values of Christ's church, and we've looked at the first three so far, which are grace, truth, and hospitality. And today we are looking at the fourth core value of our church, and our passage is from 1 Corinthians 9, end of 1 Corinthians 9, the beginning of 1 Corinthians 10, and so you can follow along right there in your bulletin. This is God's word. The Apostle Paul uh, writing says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not uh, being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, who were all under the cloud and all passed through the the sea, and all were uh, baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your holy word, and we thank you for when it speaks to us grace and comfort, and we thank you for when it speaks to us a challenge and calls us to obedience, to follow you, to trust you. And uh, Lord, we uh, pray that as we uh, read your word, it would, it would lead us to our Savior, Christ, that uh, we would believe in him and, and, and follow him. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would now uh, move among us, shape our minds, shape our hearts, shape us as a community, that our life might be uh, pleasing to you. And so we ask this in the name of our Lord, amen. Amen. Well, today we are in the fourth core value at Christ Church, and the, the word for the fourth core value is formation. What does that mean, formation? Well, uh, the way we summarize it is we, we have a sentence that describes it this way. It says, because God is shaping us in the image of Jesus, we help form others through his teaching and example. Let me say that again. Because God is shaping us in the image of Jesus, we help form others through his teaching and example. And I I first learned about the importance of uh, spiritual formation. It was probably about eight years ago I was uh, uh, reading Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was a um, 
the chair of philosophy at uh, USC, and he wrote many books about uh, Christian living, and one of those books is called The Renovation of the Heart. And in that book, uh, he talked about how it's very common for people to become Christians, and they say, well, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus has forgiven my sins and that I'm going to go to heaven and be with him when I die. And then after they believe in that, they will spend decades of their life and very little change happens to their character over that time. And so it's like they've just received this gift, but it had no impact on their lives. And the reason for that is because they didn't realize that what Jesus intended to do when he saved us was forgive our sins, praise God, to let us go to heaven when we die, praise God, but also to form the character of Christ in our inner life. That is, he's going to save us from our sins. He's going to change us. And so that we, uh, that the way we think and speak and feel, the emotions that we feel, and the ways that we relate to other people, all of these things would become like Christ. That is God's intention in drawing us to him. And if you read through the New Testament, you'll find the language of formation uh, all over the place. So, for example, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul is talking about his ministry as a pastor, and he says to them, I am in labor pains until Christ is formed in you. Because the whole goal of his ministry was was that Christ would be formed in his people. And then he also says in Romans, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So all these words are, you know, formed, conformed, transformed. They all have that form language to them. It's all the language of formation. It's basically saying that God is the potter and we're all the clay and he's pressing into us and he's molding us and he's shaping us. And the shape he wants to make us into is like Christ. He wants us to take on the form and shape of Christ. And that should be our expectation what is God doing with us here? That's what he's doing. And in this passage I just read, you from you, read to you from 1 Corinthians 9 and 10, uh, Paul describes how this kind of formation in his life was, uh, was a huge part of his personal life. He says in, in verse uh, 27, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. What he's saying is he, he says, I give great care and attention to the formation of his character through Christ. And so today, uh, I really want to impress on us how essential this is for our Christian life, how important it is for us as individuals, how important it is for our children, how important it is for the culture of, um, of our church. And so I want to do that by answering three questions for us from this passage. And this is three simple questions. What is the purpose of spiritual formation? What is the strategy for spiritual formation? And what is the power for spiritual formation? What is the purpose, the strategy, and the power? And we hope as a core value that this would shape everything that we do and what it means to be a part of Christ's church. So, three questions this morning. The first is this. What is the purpose of spiritual formation? Why is it important? And this passage tells us that the purpose of spiritual formation is preparation. God is preparing us. And what is he preparing us for? Well, there's four things that I want to point out from this passage, okay? Four, four things that God is preparing us for. First, uh, he is preparing us for a mission. 
God, we all have a mission. When you become a Christian, you're a part of Jesus' mission, and you need to be trained and equipped to do the mission. And you'll notice uh, this passage begins by Paul talking about his mission to share Christ with people. It says in verse 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. This is his mission, is to share Christ with people. And he goes on in that paragraph to talk about how Paul has this ability to connect with all different kinds of people. He says whether they're Jews or whether they're, they're you know, pagan, you know, former pagans or current pagans, he's like all kinds of people, whether weak, strong, whoever they are, rich, poor, I'm able to connect with all kinds of people. And he says in the end of verse 22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. How is he able to love such a variety of different kinds of people? Well, it goes on to say that he's been trained to do that. It didn't happen naturally. And so why should we want our character uh, to be shaped to become like Christ? Is because you and I are a part of a mission, and we have to be equipped and trained to do the mission that God has for us. And actually, Dallas Willard, uh, one of the disciplines that he talks about in his life is he would wake up in the morning, and one of his practices in the morning is to say to the Lord, I'm presenting my body to you to be an instrument of righteousness for your purposes. Whatever happens in this day, I want you to use me for your purposes. And so being trained to become an instrument that is useful to God, that's one of the purposes of spiritual formation. So first, spiritual, spiritual formation prepares us for mission. Second, it prepares us for endurance. Spiritual formation prepares us for a life of endurance. And Paul says that the spiritual life is like running a marathon. It's an endurance race. You see that there in verse 24? Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it? And I remember several years ago, I, I was on a run with my old uh, neighbor who had done ultra marathons. I think like 100, I think he did a 100-mile race. I don't know how long it takes to run 100 miles. But as we were running, he says, running is just learning about how to suffer for a long time and just keep going even though it's painful and it hurts. And as he was saying that, I just thought, what a good practice for life running is because you're just in pain and you just keep going. And that's, you know, if you read through the Bible... Read through the whole Old Testament, read through the New Testament. You can't read those without coming to the conclusion that the Christian life is about trusting God through a life of suffering. Uh, it's about uh, building up our tolerance for suffering. is a huge part of maturity in the Christian life. And um, life with God is about patiently trusting him. Or as Eugene Peterson called it, it's a long obedience in the same direction. And spiritual formation is how God prepares us for that endurance. Uh, you're not going to be able to just do it. And, um, and another thing that uh, Willard points out is that, you know, for example, if you try to just get off the couch and go run a, a marathon, good luck to you. You know, you can't, there's many things that we're called to in the Christian life that you can't just get off the couch and go do. You know, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives. Sacrifice for them. Do not be harsh with them. Wives, submit to your husbands. Follow their leadership. Uh, to all of us, be generous. Be open-handed with your wealth. Pray without ceasing. Show hospitality without grumbling. All those things, you can't just get off the couch and go do those things. 
They're things that we need to be trained to do. And uh, spiritual formation is how we do that. And it really uh, leads to a, a, a third thing. So we see that spiritual formation prepares us for mission, for endurance. And the third thing is it really prepares us for all of life, every aspect of our life. And you see what Paul says there in verse 25. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. And what he's talking about is, you know, if you've ever been in a race where you're going to be in a, you want to win a triathlon or something like that, you're going to find that that race is going to take over every aspect of your life. You know, you've got to schedule your life around your, your workouts and you're going to think about what you're eating and wh- how much sleep you're going to get. It's not like you can just keep the race over here and then just go about the rest of your life the same. And the Christian life is exactly the same way. It's not like you can just keep your Christian life over here and it's not going to affect everything else you do. And what actually happens is the Christian race brings a certain integrity and wholeness to our lives about who we are. And I think it's interesting, you know, you think about this passage. Paul says that he becomes all things to all people. He can connect with anyone. And you might read that and think, you know, is he like a middle schooler who's kind of like, one day I was, one week I was a jock, and then I was goth, and then I was on the chess team, you know, and I just like have a new outfit every week to try to connect with a different group of people, kind of like a chameleon who's just, I don't know who I am, and I'm constantly changing. Is that what Paul's like? Absolutely not. He knows there is a fundamental integrity to the center of who he was. He says, I know who I am. I belong to Christ. And so I'm not one person at church and another in my family and another at work and another with my friends. And that's what the word integrity means. Integrity means there's a wholeness, there's a oneness to who we are, that we're not fractured into different parts. There's a consistency. And so you just look at how important spiritual formation is that uh, it prepares us for a life of mission and endurance and perseverance to run the marathon before us, and it brings an integrity and wholeness to all of our lives. But there's one more purpose that Paul mentions in here for spiritual formation that we can't miss, and it's the fourth one, is that spiritual formation prepares us for eternity. It is our preparation for our eternal life. And you see that there in uh, end of verse 25, he says, They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And what Paul's referring to here in Corinth, they had something called the Isthmian Games, where they'd have, you know, all kinds of races and athletic events. And apparently in the Isthmian Games, if you won won an event, your reward was a a wreath made out of celery. It's just like celery. I mean, how about a gold medal, you know, but a celery wreath. And apparently by the time you got to the podium and they were putting the crown on you, the celery was already withering away. And so he says, we have uh, something far more precious than winning that race. Uh, This reward, the Bible expects that the prize of eternal life should be shaping how we live now. And uh, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, he, he describes it this way. He says, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of, of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different than it was before. And taking your, whole, taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. 
either into a creature that's in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that's in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. He says what's happening in our life is preparing us, is progressing towards our eternal destinies of who we ultimately are. And uh, we are being formed into our eternal destinies. And I think that one of the most important questions that we have to ask in this sermon is what is forming us now? You are being formed by something and by someone. There's no choice about it. There's no, like, I'm not going to be formed. You are being formed by someone. It could be your friends. It could be your family and the expectations that the family places on you. It could be Twitter and your mind and your emotions on a day-to-day basis are, you know, shaped by Twitter or Facebook or, or by Netflix. We are surrounded by a culture that deeply wants to form us. And Romans says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so uh, what is the purpose of spiritual formation? It is preparation for us in four things, of mission, endurance, all of life, and ultimately for eternity. And I think, you know, my hope is from this first point to take, to realize what is more important in our life. I mean, if there's anything that's prioritizing our life, what is more important than the formation of our character that our thoughts, our hearts, and the way we live, who we are, would become like Jesus. There's, no, there's nothing that's a higher priority than this. And so once we realize that, then we can turn to the second question. What then is the strategy for spiritual formation? Okay, once we appreciate the importance of it, why, what its purpose is, then we can say, well, how do we do it? And just like anything in life, if something's important, you need a strategy. You need a plan. And uh, you see, that's exactly what Paul says in this passage of verse 26. He says, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. He says, I don't just drift through life aimlessly. And, you know, the boxing the air things. He's, not, he's like, I don't give myself to just empty things that have no substance to them. I give myself to things that have substance. And what Paul is saying is that spiritual formation doesn't happen just accidentally. You know, it's very similar to, you know, physical, uh, your physical life. You don't just like wake up one day and be like, you know, I can run a marathon. I didn't, I didn't even plan on it and it just happened to me and now I can run a marathon. That doesn't happen to your body. The same thing is in our spiritual lives. It doesn't just happen naturally or accidentally. Transformation doesn't happen haphazardly. Transformation only happens when there is order and discipline that happens in a person's life. And that's what Paul says here in verse 27. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. He literally says, I make my body a slave. So what order does God say that we all need in our lives? What order and discipline? Well, the first and most important strategy or plan or order that to implement in all of our lives, you guys are doing right now. Praise God. This is the most important thing, is if you read the Ten Commandments, and what does God say? The order is that God has set aside one day in seven to keep holy, 
where his people appear before him. And when we meet with our God, he is shaping us and he is changing us. And I'll tell you, if a person does not go to church, they've never been to church in their life, and they said, you know what? I'm going to take a year, and I'm going to do what you're doing right now. I'm just going to have an open heart and come to church for this hour and 20 minutes or whatever it is. Every, every uh, week, it will radically change that person's life. It will change how you think about God, about the world, about yourself. It will change your emotions. It will, it will change how you speak. It will change how you act. It will change your social life and the people that are in your life and that you have a relationship. It will totally change your life with this one piece of order. And this is the most important thing that God has said to all of us is every week my people appear before me so I can speak to them, I can wash them, and I can feed them. This is the most important discipline. God is ordering our time saying one in seven is devoted to him. And I should say, you know, the scriptures use a similar logic with our money. Uh, you know, just as we give one in seven of our time, the scriptures also use the model of, of one in ten with our money. That uh, Jesus says in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart follows your money. How is your character formed? Uh, it, it's formed by where your money goes. The stuff, I mean, just think about it. The stuff that you spend your money on is the thing that you think about the most. Where your money is going, it consumes your mind. And so your money is also a mirror to your heart because our money flows most easily to the things that we love. But also when your money flows to something, you are increasing your devotion to it. You're increasing your investment in it and you care more about it. And so when our money goes to God, into his church, into his work, your love for those things become deeper and become stronger. And so here's a simple strategy. It's with our time and our money is, is where God starts. One in seven with our time and, and one in ten with our money. And by the way, some of you might say, yeah, I know the Bible says you give 10% of your income to, to God's kingdom. And you might think that sounds like a marathon to me. I can't, you know, maybe I don't give anything to God's kingdom. How do I go to, all of a sudden 10%? I just can't imagine doing that. Well, then you pick a different percent and you say, well, I need to get trained, so just like you don't go and run a marathon, you say, you know, I'm going to start with running a mile. I'm going to run two miles. I'm going to start with 2% or 3% or whatever it is where I'm going to say, but I need to give away my money because this trains my heart. Okay? So, but I'll tell you, when I first read Dallas Willard about spiritual formation, at that same time, I happened to read uh, another book on discipleship by uh, Randy Pope. Randy Pope's a pastor in Atlanta who, for 40 years, he had had every year small group of men that he met with, and they would keep each other accountable to learn to have a daily devotion of reading God's word and praying every day. They would uh, talk to each other about their lives, you know, confess their sins to each other and help one another, and then they would read about theology and Christian living and learn how to live in these, these communities. And he said, this is what Jesus did. If you look at how Jesus formed people, he took, he had his 12 disciples, and he spent three years with them, walking with them and sharing life with them. And if you have a group like that, what does it give you? Well, it gives discipline into these other areas of bringing God's word into my daily life and prayer into my daily life. And I'll tell you, you know, I've thought about this as a pastor. Is, you know, when a pastor gets up and says, hey, you all need to read your Bibles more. You need to pray more. You need to confess your sins more. You need to serve God more. You need to give more. And sometimes all of that just feels like a weight that is being put on. There's just more stuff that I need to do. And I already feel like I'm failing in all these things. And you're just placing more weight on me. 
And my experience is, is that when we're in a group like that, and you have a group of brothers or sisters where you say, we're all just trying to grow together. Discipline is no longer a burden. It becomes an experience of grace. It's a joy. I mean, I love meeting with these people. It's such an encouragement. It's life-giving. And that's how God wants it to be. He wants it to be an experience of grace. He wants to pour his goodness and love into our lives. And all of this order is so that he can do that. Do that. And so that's why groups are such an important part of our community here. Whether it's home groups, discipleship groups, youth group. All of these are ways of using communal discipline to bring order into our lives and to bring grace into our lives. And, uh, you know, I've, I've also thought about this. Our, our church has a, a school, Trinity Classical School, and formation is a huge part of our kind of vision of education as well. Actually, a few years ago, I was reading uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's little book, Life Together, again. And I'd read that several times. And that book is describing uh, Bonhoeffer's little community in Finkenwald, which was in... Um, in uh, Germany during the 1930s, it was a clandestine, like illegal seminary where he brought people together and they were learning about God's word. And there's a chapter in Life Together when I was reading it that had no underlines in it. You know, whenever I read books, I always underline the parts that I like. And I came to this chapter, there's not one underline in the whole thing. And the name of the chapter was The Day Together. And the reason I didn't underline it, is I had never experienced what he was describing. He was saying all these Christians who live together and their whole day is structured around prayer and singing and studying God's word and work and meals together. And I was like, I've never had my day structured with other Christians that's devoted to forming Christ in me. And then I read this again and I realized this is exactly what we have in our school. Children in a Christian school are experiencing exactly that kind of formation in community. And I think that this gives us a compelling and doable strategy for making spiritual formation a priority in our lives. These are the kinds of disciplines that we hope will be normal for a member of Christ's church. Is that we worship, we worship uh, God with his people on the Lord's Day. We give our money to, to his church and his kingdom. We're in, a, we're in a group with other people learning to study his word and to pray, and our children are immersed in these same kinds of, of orderly patterns, whether it's on, in worship or youth group or, or Trinity school or in their, in their school, or Trinity classical school, or in the children's ministry. Our church is a place of spiritual formation. Now, imagine when you hear all that, you might think that that means... My spiritual formation is up to me. And what church is, church is kind of a self-help place where you learn techniques to become a better person. And if you put these disciplines in life, you're going to make yourself into a, a better person. And well, thank God that's not what spiritual formation is about. Even when we use the word spiritual formation, the word spiritual means the Holy Spirit's formation. The Holy Spirit is forming Christ in us as a work of grace. And so this leads to our final question. So we've seen this, the purpose of spiritual formation is it prepares and trains us for mission and endurance, for a holistic life centered around Christ, and ultimately for eternity. And we've seen the strategy for spiritual formation is not running aimlessly, but ordering our lives in a doable way that cultivates the character of Christ in us. And so this leads to our final question. What is the power of spiritual formation? Where is the power that is changing you? And the power does not come from you. 
And if I could just, I just want to take a moment to tell you one key thing that our church believes. And it comes from our doctrinal standards. Our, our church uh, believes in the Westminster Standards, which is the confession, the larger catechism, and the shorter catechism. And there's a line in there where it talks about sanctification. Sanctification is another word for spiritual formation. And in the shorter catechism, it asks this question, what is sanctification? And I want you to hear this answer. It's so important. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. And the key line of that is that sanctification is a work of God's free grace. And so often Christians experience that when they first meet Jesus, Jesus says, your sins are all forgiven and come as you are and I'm going to embrace you and love you. And then as soon as you become a Christian, it's like now you've got to gut it out and you better be disciplined and you better obey him and it's all up to you. And it feels like a bait and switch. Westminster insists that's not how it is. The grace that forgave your sins is the same grace that is at work in you that's going to transform your character and who you are and form you and to be, who, to be like Christ. And you see in this passage, you know, immediately after Paul talks about his own disciplined life, he uses this illustration of the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt, and then they're wandering around in the wilderness, and uh, they're having to trust God before they go into the promised land. It's very similar to our lives. And Paul uses the Israelites as a warning. The Israelites, they start grumbling and complaining because they'd not given themselves to spiritual formation. You see that final warning in in the last verse there, in verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. You say, how were they supposed to live if God was not pleased with them? What were they supposed to do? Well, he tells us, look at verse 1. It's the exact same things that we do. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That's when they passed through the Red Sea. They were being baptized. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. What God was giving them in the wilderness, same thing he gives us. They were baptized, and they came to the Lord's Supper, and that's how he gave them his grace. Um, Both of which are the means by which we receive the grace of Christ. And so why do we order our lives around worship and baptism and the Lord's Supper and reading God's word and prayer? It's not because we're trying to win God's approval. It's because God has ordained, this is how I give you my grace. And, you know, if you want to have grace in your life, the reason we have to read the Bible is because that's the only way you'll hear about grace is in the Bible. Where else will you hear about it? Or where else will God give Christ to you unless you're a church? And so all of these disciplines are not meant to burden us. They're meant so that God can give us his grace and form Christ in us through them. Jesus is the power that changes us. And so spiritual formation is God's way of preparing us. And uh, his whole strategy is to order our lives around the means of his grace so that we could know him more deeply. And through these means, Christ is formed in us by the power of the Holy Spirit and by grace. And if there's anything that is important and a priority in our lives, let it be this. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that you have called and saved us, not just as individuals, but you bring us into a community where in this communal life together, there is a certain rhythm and order that you use to, to change who we are, to change how we think and speak and act and and relate to people and how we think of you and relate to you. And Lord, we long for that transformation to happen in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that this would be a place where we diligently give ourselves to the means of your grace. Um, so train us, Father, that we would not run aimlessly. Help us to learn from one another, but above all, help us to learn from Christ and from your word. It's in his name we pray. Amen.